0: Macworld Podcast number 413 for June 25th, 2014 brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. Lynda.com. Learn Apple software, the latest technologies, creative skills, and more from easy to follow video tutorials at lynda.com slash Macworld and Igloo and the internet you'll actually use. Welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Chris Breen. And this week, um, my co-host, Serenity Caldwell, is in a car. And uh, I assume driving somewhere. Uh, So instead, because uh, Serenity is so wonderful, I could not replace her with just one person. Instead, I brought in two. um, And they're two Dans. So uh, first of all, there is Mr. Dan Morin.
1: Hi, uh, Chris. It's a well-known fact that two Dan's equal one Ren. Actually, it might be slightly less than one Ren still.
0: Okay, he just stole my joke.
1: Uh- <laughs> Drat. Okay, that's wh- why we're only half a Ren each. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you see, you have you think as one. The other that other voice was <laughs> Mr. Dan. Frank, Hi Dan. Hi, Chris. Um. Yeah, so Ren's in a car, and so I, I appreciate the two of you jumping into the last minute, because it really was sort of a last-minute thing. Like, oh, she's in a car. Please, somebody. And you both volunteered, so I very much appreciate that. And we have good stuff to talk about. Um, The first thing I wanted to bring up this week was that there was an announcement that Microsoft has bumped up its... Storage for its OneDrive uh, service. So for free, you can get 15 gigabytes of storage for free. Um, so question on that: One, does this do anything for those of you who use Dropbox? I don't, but um, I know you guys do. And uh, and then secondly, does this make Apple's five gigabytes of storage look a little puny? I'll
2: I'll jump in. Please um, do. The uh, I, I mean. I think both those questions are what a lot of people are asking this week. I'm, I'm going. I want to start with Apple actually because I think the the premise is flawed there, Chris. Five gigabytes was always a little puny. Okay. <laughs> well before Microsoft <laughs> upped it to 15 gigabytes. I mean, I've been I've been harping on this for a couple of years now that if you if you own an iOS device or you, you start you you, you um, create an iCloud account, Apple gives you five gigabytes, but that's it. They don't ever give you any more, no matter what you do. Unless you pay for it. And even when you pay for it, they give you, you know, I'm paying for the bump up to 15 gigabytes a year uh, of storage per year uh, subscription. And, and, you know, there's so many things Apple uses iCloud for that it seems crazy that it's per user account rather than per device, for example. Mm -hmm. So say you've got three iPhones or iPads, some combination in your family you still only get the same five gigabytes of storage, even though Apple wants you to back up those devices to iCloud. So I just checked my iPhone, and my iPhone is 4.8 gigabyte backup, and my iPad mini is a 5.4 gigabyte backup. So I've got two devices, neither of which will actually fit in iCloud to back up. So, I mean, I've been saying for a while now that Apple, really, they really need to do is, one, give you more storage for free. Um, and we all know how they've been building storage you know server farms all over the country uh two it needs to be per device so if apple if you want to buy more of apple's gear they should reward you by letting you back that gear up and letting you have a little more storage so uh, if you have if your family has 10 devices why shouldn't you get more storage than five gigabytes that, that the guy who has one iphone has so, Dan, did you have anything else about Apple before I, I get to Dropbox?
1: <laughs> well, I, I I've got I just looked now because I actually pay for uh, I have 25 gigabytes because I think I got I got that like first year free of like grandfathered up because I had a paid dot right. uh, Mac whatever the heck it was before that dot Mac account. Um, and I'm using about 17 gigs out of 25, or sorry, I've got 17 gigs available, which is more than I used to have. I used to be running a little bit closer to the edge there because uh, I think I trimmed down exactly what gets backed up with my with my devices, especially with like PhotoStream. You know, you actually have the ability to not back up your entire camera roll if you don't want to. Um, so that makes things a little bit easier. I do agree that it's a little bit on the paltry side and probably, I don't know about always on the paltry side. There was a time when five gigabytes wasn't bad, but I agree that it's, you know, probably on the short side. It is interesting that they've announced that they'll redo the rates at which they're charging or how much you will get. Um, and those look much more reasonable than they have in the past. I think you like, I pay like a 10th to get the same amount of storage space that I have now um but at the same time it, it, storage is cheap right so in some ways you know paying for that barrier of entry doesn't i it certainly isn't generating revenue for them is my feeling on the matter um like if they're charging they're charging what it's like it's like 99 cents a month for another 5 gigs 10 gigs i don't remember but it was cheap yeah um, and not something that's going to be like making them a whole lot of money Uh, The big question for me is, you know, they've talked about their iCloud uh, photo library. And I believe that in the new world order, that does count against Mm -hmm. your iCloud limits. So, Stories will be more at a premium, I think, than it is now. Uh, So, that's an interesting choice. I... I, you know, we've expected them to raise that five gig limit for years, and they never have. So I'm not particularly optimistic about the fact that they'll decide to change that now. But it would certainly seem to be uh, to the advantage of its users and make a more compelling case for taking advantage of features like iCloud Photo Library. So,
0: yeah. Well, I wonder this that um, because Stan our forum, um, our people in our comments have, have said, I think rightfully, that you just have too much stuff. <laughs> and um, so, but the question is, are we not are we typical users? In that you know we all have multiple devices. We have a Mac or two. We have at least three or four iOS devices. So for us, five gigabytes is not nearly enough. But for kind of the typical user, which I think is what Apple's looking at here, who has maybe an iPhone or maybe an iPad or maybe both of them and maybe a Mac, but maybe a PC. Is that five gigabytes really as paltry as we seem to think it is? I
2: think it is. I mean, the the people joking about the amount of stuff in my iTunes library, you know, that's all fine and good, but none of that counts against your iCloud, your five gigabytes, right? That's not backed up there. So when you're backing up your phone or your iPad or your iPod Touch, you're talking about things like your, um, your, your actual apps and data,
1: uh, and not even well, the apps except even your apps. Your apps don't count, right? Yeah, right. It's not the even data your apps. apps. Right, it's right. it's, it's, it's the mainly apps. documents and photos and videos are the two big things, right? And those are those are things that almost everybody uses. Almost everybody takes pictures with their cameras.
2: Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. Is that the things that do get backed up are the things that are not power user things. Those are the things that everybody has. My my wife is by no means a, a, a heavy user of of apps and stuff like I am, and yet her backup from her iPhone five. Is at least, I think, three gigabytes. So, you know, my thing is yes, five gigabytes is paltry, but at least give us five gigabytes per device that we've bought from you, Apple. If I'm gonna spend, you know, $500 on an iPad and $499 on on an iPhone or whatever combination, to give me the same five gigabytes of space as somebody who signed up for a free account and has no iOS device to their name is kind of crazy.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about Dropbox then, because Dropbox only gives you two gigabytes, and yet it's wildly popular. So, why are we not up in arms about Dropbox? I mean, people other than me.
1: Two reasons, I think. One is uh, Dropbox does provide ways for you, non without paying for it, to get extra money. Um, sometimes those are like incentive based deals, like set your camera to automatically, you know, your phone to automatically sync your photos to Dropbox um sometimes it's referrals sometimes it's other things so there are ways i don't think i'm currently paying for it and i think i'm up to like seven or eight gigs on dropbox just like via these deals they have secondly i think the other thing is that at least in the past when it first rolled out it worked really really well it was incredibly seamless for most people and they've always had a good history of interoperability among different devices it's one of you know there's we can count on all of our hands, probably the number of Dropbox-enabled text editors on iOS devices, mm-hmm. um, they are pretty broad with allowing support for their system, and I think that's helped them a lot. It got they got adopted by a lot of other places. They were kind of considered, you know, a standard in that way. Uh, and while there are other competing cloud storage services, a lot of those did not uh, offer that same degree of connectivity. Even Google, which had for a long time, you know, Google Docs. Uh, it was very long before you could actually store just sort of arbitrary files in there. Um, and I think at that point, they were playing catch-up to Dropbox. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that their their high degree of support for the Mac and their general interoperability and well-designed nature and sort of seamlessness, I think all conspired to turn them into kind of the de facto solution for cloud storage. And that makes it an uphill climb for a lot of these other providers, even if they are really large, like Microsoft or Google.
2: Yeah, I, I think that the biggest thing is that Dropbox started years and years ago and back then they were given a decent amount of space and they became the de facto standard for this kind of thing and so their 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 legacy installation everywhere is really what helped them here if, if Dropbox debuted tomorrow and said hey you get you know 2 gigabytes of space people would laugh no one would no one would sign up for Dropbox they would be just like Microsoft OneDrive right now where people's like well should i sign up for this nah um, and they would be trying to, to give more and more storage to get people to sign up, which is really what Microsoft is doing here. You know, they're, they're way behind in this race and they know that the only way they're going to get people to convert is to give them lots and lots and lots of free space. Um, so, I mean, I think that, that's why most people don't complain about Dropbox at this point. But also, I think it's that sort of, um, jumping on what Dan said is that the way we use Dropbox versus iCloud storage is very different and that, Dropbox, I mean, excuse me, iCloud, it backs up a bunch of stuff automatically. And although you can go in and tweak it, most people don't. And so what backs up to iCloud is essentially it's it's set and you don't do anything. It just happens. Dropbox, on the other hand, it's integrated into like the Finder on the Mac. And so there's a folder here and you know exactly what is going in there. You take stuff out if it you don't need it to sync and use up your space. You know, it's, it's much more... Let's sync these do- these documents that I've chosen. And so I think that it's a lot harder for people who aren't heavy u- users of Dropbox to run up against that limit right away. That, because that's there's-
1: a really good uh, point. Because Dropbox, I think the way you're putting it, Dropbox is a really like OS ten solution. And iCloud is kind of really an iOS solution. Just in terms of like there are philosophies and approaches to that matter. Yeah. And I agree that get Dropbox is getting in early
0: really helped a lot because if you look at their pricing plans in order to get more storage you have to pay minimum a hundred bucks a year for another uh, 100 gigabytes whereas you look at some other services where you can go incrementally say like sugar for example i think is forty dollars sixty dollars for 50 gigs um OneDrive has better uh, pricing plans. Google certainly has better pricing plans. Uh, Box has better pricing plans. And they also start off at a higher uh, minimum storage. So I do wonder the number of people have built Dropbox into their workflow and just say, well, this works for me, and that's fine. And so I don't need to shop somewhere else. Now, I put myself in a position where I am shopping somewhere else. And it's been an eye-opener for me when I look at – you know, what the costs of it are, the amount of storage I get, and some of the other features offered by some of these things. For example, OneDrive has a really good preview in it. You can look at just about anything that is in your OneDrive storage, more so than I found in the case with with Dropbox. Um, you can, for free, use uh, the Office Online Suite. So you get Office Word, PowerPoint and Excel, not the full-blown versions, but some pretty complete versions. So if you're working with Office documents that actually few of us do anymore, but a lot of people do, um, that makes that a very compelling service versus something like Dropbox. But I, I again, so I agree, getting in Dropbox early and incorporating it into your workflow makes a huge difference because I'm still struggling with finding ways to do things uh, in other services that I used to do with Dropbox.
1: Yeah, the inertia too, right? Because if you share Dropbox folders with other people, it's hard to convince other people to like, ah, yes, come over here to my other shared folder. So you have to install a completely different application or what have you. And some people are like, well, I'm on Dropbox and I'm I'm happy with that. So the inertia really helps the the Dropbox's business model.
2: Right, and the other part of that inertia we haven't mentioned is just how many apps use Dropbox as an integrated storage solution. Like on iOS... I would hazard a guess that Dropbox has maybe a 90% market share in terms of document-based apps that store to the cloud. I mean, we're putting iCloud aside because a lot of these apps will use iCloud and Dropbox and iCloud is sort of the de facto, but if you want something other than iCloud, I think Dropbox probably has, you know, the vast majority of the market there. And if I wanted to switch to OneDrive, I would have to change text editors, I would have to change photo workflows, on my iOS device, all these things.
0: Yeah, I generally use things like Goodreader and um, and Readles Documents for moving files around between cloud services. And they seem to both support the majors, which would be Box, mm-hmm. um, SugarSync, Google, uh, and OneDrive, and as well as Dropbox. So... You're right, though, that I think a lot of times when I talk to app developers, one of the first questions you, you get when you're talking about sharing services is, is their Dropbox support built in? And nine out of ten times they say, yep, that's the first thing they did. And then after that, they look at iCloud because iCloud apparently is more difficult to implement mm-hmm. than, than is Dropbox, which is another point toward Dropbox is they get it. They want to talk to developers and make sure it's built in. Right, And that may change in iOS 8 because of all
2: the changes Apple's making yeah. to iCloud for developers. But in the past, besides, as you mentioned, Dropbox being more difficult to develop for, on the user end, a lot of us have just found that Dropbox works. Yeah. And, and a lot of them don't necessarily. So they've had that in their favor. But I am um, I'm, I'm curious to see how this is going to change in iOS 8.
0: Yeah, at the point, at the risk of uh, violating church and state, because I don't really want to, but we're going to about to do an ad about Citrix's share file, um, and it's a different approach, and I think one that's worthwhile for business. and um, And the idea here is, and it's actually going to be in the ad, but I, I will speak as editor and not ad reader, um, that you are. It gives you the opportunity to send files up to five gigabytes, which is something that Apple's going to do through, uh, in, uh, the next version of, of the OSs, but this is an intriguing possibility as well. So you send somebody, you just upload the thing into share file and you send somebody a link to it and then they just grab it that way. And, and you don't have to worry about, Oh gee, that exceeds the size of my Dropbox file. And so that's another way that, that some of these companies are approaching. This is just the link version where it seems transparent to you instead of uh, having to go, Oh, I have to go to this website and grab this, this way. Um, and I think maybe that's something that Apple looked at when they talked about uh, sharing services, that they looked at that share file kind of model versus more of a Dropbox thing, or the iDisk that they had many, many, many years ago and none of us used.
1: I used it. It went badly for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe that's it.
0: I think a lot of us used it and then went, wow, right. this is really bad.
2: Yeah, that's the, but that's that's the, the correct way to put it. A lot of us used and then
1: didn't use it. I lost data, so yeah, I never went back to it. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, um, and now um, I'm going to put on the other hat and be the ad reader guy and say now a word about that very subject, which is Citrix's share file. If you're in business, this is no surprise to you. We're constantly collaborating with coworkers and clients. We're sharing files like contracts and spreadsheets and presentations. And it's essential that these important files are kept safe, secure, and under your control. And that's why I'd like to recommend Citrix's ShareFile. It's the easy-to-use business solution that allows you to exchange files quickly and securely. Now, personally, I use ShareFile primarily for its ability to share large files. I don't need to worry that I'm going to hit some email gateways, arbitrary limits, or that the files I share are going to put me over some cloud services data cap for my particular plan. I send a link and it's done. With ShareFiles... As I hinted, you can send files of almost any size and there are no bounce backs. We're talking about five gigabytes limit. You can control who has access to your files and the levels of permission that they have. It syncs automatically so you and your team will always have the most updated materials and you can access share file from anywhere on your laptop, tablet or smartphone. You can work on the go. If this sounds good to you, give ShareFile a trial with a special offer. Sign up today and receive a 30-day free trial. No obligation. Go to ShareFile.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and enter Macworld. Remember, visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld. And we're back. And uh, the next topic up is the next Apple TV. So we get to put on our prognosticators hats. Um, last week, I wrote a story about the Apple TV possibly being a HomeKit hub. The idea being that HomeKit sounds really interesting when you're in your house with your iOS device or it's using iBeacon or something. So you drive up to your house, the iBeacon says, oh, you're here. It opens up the garage door, it unlocks the back door and it turns on the heat. Um, One issue I had with this, and this came from the results of a conversation around WWDC, but somebody said, well, okay, suppose I've got 12 devices in my house that are going to be connected to my network? How do I access those things remotely? And how secure is that going to be? Do I want a dozen companies knowing everything about my internal network? Which made me think, oh, well, you'd need a device, but you don't want it to be your computer because you don't want it on all the time. You want something that can hash that information so that it doesn't send back your personal information to Google or something like that. And what always-on-computer do we have? Well, it turns out a lot of us have the Apple TV. And so maybe that becomes our home kit hub. So uh, first of all, validate me. Second of all, um, what else could our next generation Apple TV do?
1: I will say that I think your Apple TV thing is good. But I also thought that the other possible solution there is if you have an airport device, like Mm -hmm. an airport hub, it could possibly do some of that stuff for you, too.
2: Well, and I think that there's a good chance that Apple will sell an Apple TV that is also an Airport Extreme uh, base station at some point.
0: Yeah, I got I got some of that feedback, and some Josh Sanders over at Tibbetts, for example, was making that point. I thought it was a good argument as long as that isn't the only device, and as long as it doesn't cost two hundred dollars or more, because I think at that point it suddenly becomes. Um, you know, it's like I'm buying a, another computer. I think the, the sweet thing about the Apple TV is that $99 price point. Mm-hmm. And even if it's $129. But I think a lot of Mac users forget that not everybody in the world owns Macs. There are a lot of PC users out there who have iOS devices as well. And so you need a solution that's going to work for them and nice. be basically seamless. And not the kind of thing where they say, oh, if you want to use this, you have to replace your router right yeah. so it's, it, it's got a, it's
1: got its own purpose right. Right? It's a, right you're buying an entertainment box that also happens to do this home automation thing, and it's a consumer facing feature rather than a lot of people who are like router what? Right <laughs> right, and so that it can it doesn't have to do that.
0: Right, So you can just put the box there if you happen to not have a wireless router or you want to update the one. Yes, it can do that, but it can also completely ignore that stuff and simply talk to whatever is in your house at the time and then deliver that sort of uh, home automation information and other things. And I think the other things is what would make the – maybe makes the jump so that people – I know Apple's not talking about the Apple TVs being a hobby anymore, but a lot of other people are kind of looking at it like, yeah, well, I could get a Roku instead, or my PS4 does that, or this device, or my DVD player does the same thing. So, no, I, I agree. I think it has
2: a lot of potential to be the anchor for Apple in your house in that, like you said, it, 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 it's not just going to be a Roku box. It's going to be something that you buy, stick in the middle of your, your entertainment center, and suddenly it does all things Apple around your house. So what are those other things we wanted to do? Well, you know, we've been talking for, gosh, how many years? When was the first time we said that they're going to have apps for the Apple TV? How many years ago was that?
1: I think that was before I even started working now. I think dinosaurs walked the earth.
2: It seems rather obvious, and we've been saying every year, it's going to be this year that Apple lets uh, third-party developers make apps for the Apple TV. But I really do think that it is finally coming. Uh, I, I mean, the it's already there, right? It's already Apple's shown that they can just at any moment pop on a few more, let's just call them apps, but they're more like channels. So, so the capability is there to add stuff. They've got the store infrastructure, they've got everything ready. And then there's also signs in iOS eight of new features that would make it a great machine for not just apps, but also games. I mean, we've, there's the one of the new features is direct ad hoc airplay networking so you can do airplay, or excuse me air um, airplay mirroring directly to an apple tv without having to be on the same network so you just start you, you press a couple of buttons and your your apple tv and your iphone your ipad automatically make a connection for airplay mirroring so there's that there's also um I'm trying to remember the name I think it's controller forwarding is what they're calling it where yeah if you've got a, a game controller for your iPad or your iPhone, you can actually use the iPad or iPhone as your handheld controller, but all those controller signals are forwarded instantly to the Apple TV. So if, for example, you were playing a game on the Apple TV, uh, you could use your phone or iPad as the controller. I mean, apples they've got these little things they're dropping here and there that when you you start to look at them all together, it seems kind of obvious that that's where we're going. So the biggest The biggest hurdle right now, I think, is that the Apple TV's processing power has always been one or two generations behind the Mm -hmm. phone or the iPad. And so there will need to be new hardware, I think, to do the really demanding stuff. And I think that's... Go ahead.
1: I was going to say, I'm going to play slight contrarian to Dan Frakes' opinion, which is to say, uh, one of the pieces of technical details that I've come across at some point is uh, I've heard that basically the way that the Apple TV works is that it is essentially a single app, if you put that in quotation marks, that runs on top of the platform and that all the additional channels that come into it are basically subsets of that app. Um, think of it like front row, basically. Mm-hmm. It used to be run the Mac. Um, there is a single, like, it's not necessarily an operating system so much as it's a app running on top of an operating system, which I think, to me, suggests that a little more complexity is needed before they can just sort of roll out apps though, like to a third-party development. Um, I, I think that there, I, I'm not saying that it won't do it or that they can't do it. I'm saying that I think the, the work that goes into the software engineering of making this a truly standalone platform that, uh, developers can target apps for is probably a little more involved than just simply opening up what's already there. Uh, will probably provide, uh, require a little more substantial, uh, development process, in the same way that we saw a jump from the first OS 10 based version of the Apple TV to the more current uh, smaller iOS based version, I think that there's going to need to be a pretty big software change before apps start rolling out. And I think that if that were the case, I'm going to go ahead and guess that we would have seen it talked about at WWDC this year um, so that it may be something that they're still building towards. But I'm going to I'm going to guess it does not happen this year. So do you think there's then an interim
0: step where Apple releases apps and leaves kind of the, the door closed to third parties so that they can start putting some of the stuff on here? Like, you, you know, the HomeKit hub can stuff can come there where it can report on the devices sure. around your house. But then once they've kind of got that out, much like they did with iOS where they said, yeah, yeah exactly. You know, we're going to have web apps. So do that. But in the meantime, we're getting our ducks in a row.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's, I think we'll see Apple decide that, you know, we're going to revamp the software, we're going to put this out there and your Apple TV might do more things, but it's still very closely regulated by Apple. Um, And then a year out that we might see, you know, the more of a third-party uh, approach to it. But I don't think that they'll drop third-party support from the get-go. I think they're still building that out. And they've shown, with a lot of the stuff that Dan talks about, the technologies that we've seen this year, they've shown that they, you know, they're taking their time on these things, on the, especially on things that it might have security implications or other, like, tricky implications when it comes to sandboxing and all those inter-app communications technologies I think they have shown that they like to do a very slow, diligent job on that and release it when they're ready. And I don't think that we're quite there yet for the Apple TV. But I'm, I, I agree, I'd like to see it. I just am less optimistic about its terms and its short-term prospects.
0: Well, I think that's part of the um, the WWDC takeaway, is that we saw a lot of technologies where you could see, right, okay, here's the direct application of this on iOS or on OS 10. But it doesn't take much thought to think, yeah, okay, and then you extend that out and see where that could go with, you know, wearables, uh, the Internet of Things, which I hate, Um, and uh, and Apple TV and other, you know, forthcoming devices that Apple could. I mean, again, a lot of this WDC stuff seemed like throat clearing for coming attractions.
1: Yeah, I think that's possible. I think a lot of it is also stuff that they've been working on for a long time, right? So, you know, this inter-app communication stuff, all the indications yeah. I saw about that was that that had been in development for years. But it was tricky because it required significant rearchitecting in the way that they, you know, it, it went against the grain of what, all the stuff that they had delivered up until that point. So obviously it was not just like, oh, we can just tack this on. It's like a, we got to severely re-architect a bunch of this stuff. Um, But you're right that they're sort of rolling out a lot of platforms between things like HomeKit and HealthKit, where they're saying we're creating essentially these standards for other developers to tap into. Um, I think that does suggest to me laying a lot of groundwork for the possibility of all these smarter devices to come down the pike, uh, and whether that be an Apple TV or something else. I don't know. I think we still haven't seen exactly what the ultimate—is this the ultimate form of the Apple TV? I mean, there's been rumors— for years that of all the different approaches that they've tried in terms of dealing with the content companies, dealing with the networks, dealing with the cable companies, you know, and not getting a lot of purchase in a lot of those arenas. So they've had to sort of figure out, well, what does an Apple TV look like if it doesn't look like what we've already delivered? Um, and it's that's been a challenge because there's a lot of entrenched interests here, and none of them are willing to give up anything of their share of the pie when it comes to money. Um, so Apple, you know, has kind of found itself boxed in in terms of how it creates a device that people want to use that's easy to use, um, but probably won't replace the stuff that they already have.
0: Yeah, I wonder if this is is part of a broader philosophy, and I think we've seen this the last couple of iterations of OS X, is that really the focus now is on your stuff. Um, so it's not, you know, each device you use is a window onto your stuff. And maybe that's partly where this goes, is that the Apple TV is yet another platform for getting access to your stuff. So yes, it's about getting access to other stuff like entertainment, but also, at least in the terms of the home, so your stuff would include your thermostat and your locks and your cameras and and windows. Um, Other stuff that happens to be scattered around your house. So there's certain data that's on your computer that would be well-suited for your Apple TV. So granted, easy access to that. Um, Basically, we're talking about the continuity movement that they're making at WWDC, but having Apple TV as part of that instead of just simply being an entertainment device as we thought of it before. Well, good. I want to talk about one of these devices uh, right after this word from lynda.com. I'm a lynda.com author, so I can speak from an insider perspective. Here are the basics. Lynda offers over 2,000 high-quality and engaging video courses taught by industry experts, with courses added every day. They have a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. The videos include animations and diagrams, and sometimes example files, and it's easy to find what you need. Lynda.com can help anyone learn creative software and business skills to achieve personal and professional goals. It costs one low monthly price of $25, and that provides you with unlimited access to the entire course library. It provides training to over 4 million people worldwide. The production values are great, and Linda hires the best people, if I may be immodest, to produce its courses. And you can access Lynda.com from your computer, your tablet, or your mobile devices. As an author, I have access to the library, and I find it an invaluable resource when I need to learn about subjects I'm otherwise not familiar with. I've been spending a lot of time lately with Linda's Logic Pro 10 and Final Cut Pro 10 video courses, as well as Ben Long's photography courses. Sometimes I'll work my way through an entire course, and others I'll just tune in for a particular movie to learn a specific skill. Either way, it's a great experience. As a user of Apple products, you'll find the following courses helpful. Unix for Mac OS 10 users, Logic Pro 10 Essential Training, Final Cut Pro 10 Essential Training, iMovie 11 Essential Training, Photoshop CC Essential Training, Excel 2013 Essential Training, iOS 7 iPhone and iPad Essential Training and my own iPad tips and tricks and iPad for business. You owe it to yourself to check it out. And you can do that for free for seven days by visiting lynda.com slash Macworld. That's l-y-n-d-a dot com forward slash Macworld to start your seven-day free trial. Okay, so that other devices, of course, the iWatch or the iBand or whatever they're going to call this thing. um, There have been a lot of murmurs. um, More than just kind of the bloggy kind of murmurs that we've heard for a long time. But... Places like the Wall Street Journal and Reuters and others are saying, hey, there's some really serious action happening here. Uh, maybe some less reliable sources have said, no, they're, they're making these things in July and they're all going to be out in October. We don't know about release dates. We don't know about number of sensors. We don't know much about anything except it seems to be getting a more, this-is-really-really-going-to-happen kind of play, much more so uh, than we've seen in the last eight months, maybe, and also the kind of run-up that we've seen when things actually do end up happening. So do we think it's going to come out, and is it really about kit?
1: It seems like it probably is really going to happen this time, I say, with all the caveats and <laughs> asterisks that you want to apply to that, if only because I think you're right that the we have started, the the supply chain can no longer be contained. That's the simple way of saying all the partners that Apple relies upon to build its stuff, to create components for its stuff, and all the processes, there's just so much interest and attention on Apple that it it is impossible when you involve that many different companies for things to remain truly secret. Uh, That said, it doesn't mean we know all the details of what that's going to look like, and a huge portion of... What Apple brings to this market is their ability to integrate hardware and software. So we may be hearing about all the hardware ingredients, but we don't really know all the details about how that will work, what the software will be, and so on. But where there's smoke, there's fire, and it does seem like there's enough uh, murmurings out there from Asia where they build all these things to say that something is coming down the pipe, uh, and what that is and how it integrates with the stuff we've already seen so far is more of an open question.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's obvious there's something going on. The <clears throat> Apple has gotten too big to keep secrets anymore, I think. This is a lesson we're learning now. Uh, back when they only had a couple product lines and controlled everything, it was a lot easier to stop things from getting out. But um Apple's now like the number one builder of many kinds of devices in the world. And you've got companies all over the world making that stuff for them. So it's kind of hard to keep it a secret now. But uh yeah, I, I think that the interesting thing for me is a couple of years ago when people had all these rumors about iWatches, it was more along the lines of Samsung's gear um, watches where it was a big screen that lets you answer your email or make phone calls and things like that. And if you've ever seen one of these Samsung gear watches in person, they're really kind of gimmicky. There's a tiny little crappy camera on it. Um, the, my friends who have them, they say, you know, it's useful when you get a, a when you, you get a text message, you can just glance down and see what it is and not do anything with it. But, other than that, yeah, it's kind of gimmicky, and I think that the, the the direction we're seeing Apple take this, if the rumors are true, is that yeah, we might do some of those things, but you know, we'd rather work on the things that people might really find useful. And the 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 market for wear for wearables like health monitoring devices, Fitbits, Jawbones, those kind of things has 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 bloomed in the last couple years. And people have shown they really are interested in that stuff. And I think Apple seems to be taking the approach of, let's do that, but let's do it better than everybody else. And, um, and then we'll add a few other features on as well. But that seems to be, again, this is all based on our rumors, but it makes sense to me that Apple is trying to do something a little bit different than, than Samsung and Pebble and some of these other companies.
0: I wonder if, there has, if there's a long tail to this, though. Um, I know that people have Fitbits, and that everybody, you know, went on Twitter, what, a year and a half ago, and everybody was talking about their stats, and like, oh, I did this, and so many steps today, and nobody talks about it anymore, because I think everybody's put their Fitbit through the washer, and it's dead, <laughs> um, and they don't want to keep buying new ones. So if, is, if this really is sort of like the best Fitbit around, do you think this has legs – or is it the kind of device that does? Yeah, we do this sort of stuff, but we're also going to give you uh, an alert system for the phone in your pocket or your purse. I mean, is that it? Is, is it that it just becomes this helpful device and a couple of an alert system and a and a health monitor? Or is, does this become a platform that we can really take advantage of in some other interesting ways?
2: Well, I I, I just really I think it's both. I think that Apple is going to do something that is the sort of one of the best, if not the best fitness health monitoring things and not just a Fitbit where it measures your steps, but it, it watches your blood pressure. It, watch, it keeps track of your pulse. It alerts you if things are seem weird. Um, Apple's talked about health kit and the way it can integrate with doctor's offices and that kind of thing. I mean, it would be great for somebody who say has to watch their blood pressure if they could get an alert on their watch that says, hey, your blood pressure is higher than normal. Um, should I send a note to your doctor? You know, I mean, those are the kind of things that I think we're going towards in terms of, of technology and health. Um, but then again, like you said, they can also say, but it can also notify you of messages. It can also do alarms. It can also, if you need to listen to a voicemail quickly, you could do that. Uh, so I think that it's going to have a health focus, but I do also think that it is kind of a platform.
1: Yeah, I agree with with Dan that the compelling thing that Apple can bring to this is actually some sort of longitudinal type, latitudinal, I guess in this case, uh, system where uh, there are the ability to use that data for something. Because a, a lot of the problem with this existing sort of stuff with Fitbit and like Jawbone and what have you is that even when they make deals with other companies, uh, a lot of that stuff still ends up siloed, right, because there's competing standards and there, you know, some companies make deals with other companies and what happens to your information? I mean, this is information that might be, you know, you can use for your own personal edification, but at a certain point there's a question of, is this information for information's sake um, or is this something that's actually usable and useful to track? Um, And I think with the ability of something like HealthKit, um, you know, having this available to provider healthcare providers as well as other people I think is is really potentially powerful I mean I was this talk- came up with a discussion with my parents the other day actually even um, and my mother was saying she had been seeing, talking to some doctor for one of her you know uh, something and and he said oh did you hear about this whole health kit thing we're really excited about this It's such a good po- you know opportunity for for healthcare professionals to be able to have this kind of information and so you know given that there seem to be like healthcare professionals who are interested in that, and granted, at the same time, that is a slow-moving field and things don't always develop very quickly there, but Apple has enough clout that if they are willing to sort of back this as a standard and help work with uh, third-party hardware and software and all that so that this information kind of flows freely, that could be very powerful, Um, and, and I think it's interesting in particular that we're seeing this under Tim Cook's watch, no pun intended um because you know he is by all accounts, if you read stuff stuff about him personally, he is very fitness focused he's i believe an avid biker um and you know they talk about a lot of the profiles of him discuss his his uh his exercise regimens and stuff like that and I think that that bodes well because it's something that he actually cares about um in the same way that, you know, music was something Steve Jobs always cared about and brought a lot of passion to. And I think having that kind of passion and having that look into what is this actually used for, how are we going to find this useful, uh, means that it can potentially be a more interesting pro- product than something that's just based on, you know, market research. Um, but but make no bones about it. At the same time, you know, if the Apple TV has graduated from hobby status, the iWatch is the new hobby. <laughs> I mean, nicely put so what you're suggesting now is that at the end of
0: an apple event instead of a band coming out tim's going to come out and say drop and give me 20
1: <laughs> uh, yes check under your seats there's nothing under your seats now do push it <laughs> yeah. no check, well, again. Yeah, check, again. No, check <laughs> again no check again no check again
0: okay um we have uh, one more spot and that is igloo which is an internet you'll actually use and we'll be back to wrap it up with one more topic Igloo is bringing task management into the internet, but how is yet another task management system actually going to help you get work done? Well, think about all the tasks you do that aren't part of a specific project. Updating a graphic and a presentation, requesting text changes in a Word document, or delegating to-dos after a meeting. Igloo makes this easy by keeping these kinds of tasks directly with your content. You don't need a project or a specific task list, but you can use those too. Content tasks inform your team if documents need edits or if it's ready to go to the client. They're particularly great for recurring meetings, like you view everything talked about in last week's meeting. It's easy to see what was completed and what wasn't. The tasks are right there. And when you're the one assigned tasks, whether it's on a project list, on content, or a personal task, they all show up in one view. It's the easiest way to manage your day-to-day work. Tasks are free for all Igloo customers, coming this summer as part of Igloo's latest update, Unicorn. Learn more at igloosoftware.com slash macworld. All right, we're back, and that last topic is something that Ren and I talked about a few weeks ago and immediately dismissed, and then somebody actually wrote a good piece on it, and then we went, oh, well, hmm, maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. Uh, Dan Morin, why don't you set that up?
1: Sure. Uh, so one of our regular contributors, Marco Tubini, wrote an interesting article around these rumors of Apple using the lightning connector on iOS devices as a headphone jack. Um, now, obviously, I think many of us sort of at first blush were like, oh, that's terrible. The headphone jack, it's very standard. It's, everything works with it. All your headphones plug into it. Why would you mess with something that's clearly so perfectly designed? Um, and, you know, there's, there's a valid argument for all of us, and, and Marco even acknowledges in the article, you know, he's got plenty of expensive headphones, and he's you know, not thrilled with that idea, but... That before we sort of, you know, just go with our knee-jerk reactions, we might want to look into why Apple is considering something like this. And, of course, there are the usual, I don't know if you want to call them nefarious, but there are the usual Apple-like motivations for doing so. It gives them more control over licensing. It gives them more quality control in the same way that, um, you know, they're made for iPhone and iPod programs have been able to, like, help certify certain, you know, accessories as working correctly with their devices. Um, And that's true. But... He also sort of suggests that we consider the fact that the current headphone jack is essentially more or less unchanged since around the 19th century um, when it was first used for telephone switchboards. And while that's, you know, certainly a, a mark for it in favor of longevity, it's getting a little old in the tooth in some places, and a lot of the things that we have sort of added onto it over the years have been kind of jury rigged in terms of like volume controls and, and, uh, the pause and playback controls. So there, there might be some reasons, um, that you want to use a lightning connector instead of a headphone jack. Um, and among those, not just the increase in technology and the fact that a lightning jack is much smarter than a normal headphone jack, but things like design considerations for the phone. Uh, a headphone jack limits the width of your thickness of the phone, right? You can't make it any smaller than a standard headphone jack. Um, and Apple, of course, is incredibly design focused. So, you know, it might want to reclaim that space, especially if it's considering making a thinner iPhone. Um, and certainly that, you know, headphone jack and all its equipment takes up space inside the phone as well. And if that's space that you want to use for something else, more battery capacity or an additional chip or coprocessor, um, that might be valuable. Space is at a premium inside the iPhone. So having the option to instead route audio through the lightning connector could be beneficial in that scenario. Not to mention that Uh, You know, the headphone jack is also an analog technology and all the music on your iPhone is probably not stored on wax cylinders. So, you know, having a direct digital connection could potentially uh, improve sound quality um, and allow for some other flexibility in terms of the processing of that sound. So there's a number of reasons that we shouldn't necessarily dismiss it out of hand, even as we'll probably now do that. Okay, Dan, Dan Frank,
0: before this, we... We talked about this subject, and you say, yeah, it was well-written, but I don't agree.
2: Well, I, the I think we should back up really quick and say that the reason all this speculation has come about is because there was an Apple patent that was uncovered that shows Apple using the the lightning connector for audio output, which it can already do, but the idea here was to use it as a headphone source rather than a headphone jack. And um, the other argument in favor of design considerations is that not only do the internal components matter, but the headphone jack itself is currently one of the thickest components in an iPod Touch and iPhone, iPad. So um, in theory, getting rid of the headphone jack would allow Apple to make thinner devices, so does that mean it's a good idea i don't i mean all the things dan said are true the the and the patent itself specifically mentions
1: clarify dan it's not a patent it is an ex a specification for the oh, major sorry, iphone right. program yeah
2: that, that's that's your little it you. has,
1: it's a little more concrete than right a right
2: right right you're right you're right um that uh, apple specifically mentions using this for high resolution audio which is you know it's a still a very niche market but it's allegedly a growing niche market so you could do much higher quality audio out of the lightning connector than you could through a headphone jack um but all that said um I think a lot of people are looking at this as well to do that then the headphone jack has to be gone and I don't think that it's an either or thing at least not for the next few years uh, i i mean the the if Apple were to take, Apple already gets a lot of flack when it switches connectors, say from the 30 pin to the lightning connector. Can you imagine if Apple had suddenly made every headphone they ever made obsolete in one fell swoop? I don't, I don't see them doing that. And, um, and it would also, I think would be a competitive disadvantage because, you know, if I've got a bunch of headphones in my closet and I'm about to buy a new phone and I look there at that pile of headphones and say, I won't be able to use any of that or I'll have to use it with a dongle or an adapter. To me, that's just one bridge too far, even for Apple. Um, It's not to say that it's not going to ever happen, because I think Marco made some good points that we are using an old technology that's been around forever, and sooner or later, it's going to change. But to me, as someone who covers headphones a lot, I think that the next year or two is too soon.
1: Well, there's some interesting things to consider in here. One, Apple's history, of course, of getting rid of what it considers obsolete technologies. I was just having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day who was, who was still using a MacBook from like 2006 or seven, <laughs> And she's like, well, what if I want to get a computer, a Mac with a optical drive? you like, can't get those anymore. They don't have them. You know, the optical drive, the floppy drive, even the 30 pin connector, right, which was around for a really long time and all hell went loose, you know, broke loose when, when they decided to change that. But they changed it because ultimately it was a better solution. Um, you
2: know, I I really quick I just I, I, I've heard a lot of people use the floppy drive and the um <clears throat> um the optical disc, but both of those were on the way out. When Apple made the decision, they were controver- it was controversial when Apple got rid of the floppy drive and when Apple started mm-hmm. omitting optical disks. But both of those technologies were clearly on the way out. Headphones, meanwhile, are more popular than they've ever been. And it's 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 a growing market even today. For a technology that, like you said, has been around for decades, so I I don't I don't necessarily think those are analogous. But um, and but in terms of the thirty pin to lightning, that was a proprietary Apple thing that only worked on Apple devices. So they said, hey, this is our thing. We can change it if we want. Whereas getting rid of the headphone jack is is like changing the gas tank on every car on the road and saying
1: sorry. <laughs> But you make an interesting point in that the fact that headphones are popular, because among other things, as you might recall, Apple bought a little headphone company a couple yeah. <laughs> just within the last month or so, um, which is interesting because it certainly means that if they wanted to produce, you know, headphones with a lightning connector on them, they could certainly do so now. Nothing is stopping them from doing that. Um, and,
2: I, and I think that's what's going to happen, honestly. Yeah, I, think, I agree. I, I think the Beats headphones are going to have models that have lightning connectors. Yep, and, and that will be the start.
1: Yep, and they'll they'll you know target them at audio enthusiasts and the like. Um, I I agree. You know, I'm I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here. I I agree with you that I don't think this is uh, likely very soon. And one of the examples Marco uses in the article is one of the I believe Nintendo on the Game Boy Advance about oh kind of close to a decade ago now tried to swap in a proprietary cable that could do both audio out and power. Right. Um, And it did not go over well. (laughs) Um, And so I agree that it seems like uh, having, you know, getting rid of that wholesale probably isn't going to happen. Um, but, you know, I think we agree at the same time that the headphone jacker probably can't last forever. And, and certainly the other flip side of it that we didn't really mention in this conversation, but which came up in the piece, is wireless headphones, um, which are getting more popular and getting better, technologically right. speaking. Right. Uh, and so that's another ingredient to consider here, because if there is a more of a move to wireless headphones, that certainly is an impetus for saying, well, maybe we don't need a headphone jack anymore. But, yeah. you know, we're not at that point now. But, you know, at some point in the future, it seems likely the headphone jack will go the way of all those other discarded technologies.
2: Your 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 reference to that old Nintendo reminded me, remember the iPods that had a remote jack? And if you, yeah. if you oh, wanted yeah. a head, headphones with an inline remote, it had to have a special plug that also included remote pins separate from the the main yeah. the main plug and I and you know that caught on real well.
1: Well the and <laughs> as we as Mark also pointed out, remember how the original iPhone had a recessed headphone jack? Raise your hand if you hated that. I did because yes. a lot of my headphones did not fit into it.
0: <laughs> yeah I think we're going to end up with a both device. Yeah. So that it's going to have a headphone jack on there. Because if they completely removed it, Apple would have to make a, an incredible argument for getting rid of the headphone jack. Right. Uh, because, as you say, Dan, yes, it's their stuff, so they can move from 30 pin to lightning and you just have to suck it up. But in this case, this is the universal format, and to be able to walk out on stage and say oh by the way we just don't think that's good enough anymore so everything you own in your car in your closet on your stereo shelf that is out now and but for just 29.95 or (laughs) 29.99 you can get this little adapter that goes on here oh and by the way it actually has to be kind of big because it's going to be a digital audio converter in there and it's going to be awesome and why don't you do that and people would burn the place down so um yeah maybe it gets there eventually but uh, I don't think Apple can pull the the floppy 30 pin you know just saying nope, it's gone that's it this is better this is what you're going to do um not yeah th- this is an instance where they have to convince
2: rather than convert um they 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 would have to like we said make their own or have re- reputable you know respected vendors make make lightning connector headphones get some momentum get it to where there's enough out there that someone could say all right if they drop it i can go for this you know but
1: it, it, we're nowhere near that i guys we've we've ignored the biggest problem here what's you know entirely which is that apple can't even make good earbuds with a with a headphone jack so <laughs> uh,
2: yeah <laughs> well yeah. and 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 the same criticism is made of beats and that beats are not audiophile grade they're not great headphones i mean but they sell really well they sell really well but they're not they simply are not really good headphones and so if you're making the argument that we're we are going to make our own headphones that are lightning and we're going to make them so good that everyone wants to convert they're a long way from that point
0: yeah they've really got they do they would have to sign on sennheiser and akg and Bose Bose B&W <laughs> basically get all the the high-end headphone makers to buy Granted, in. Granted,
1: many people that they probably have good relationships with after years and years of selling iPods.
0: No, absolutely. I think I think they would, but at the same time those companies are not going to say, "Well, you know, we're going to abandon them. <laughs> right. And and what I think what I mentioned
2: earlier that the the spec that Apple published um focuses on high high resolution audio and I think that's where this is going to start. I think that you're going to see some high-end headphones, um, or digital, you know, digital-analog converter slash, you know, other audio components from audio, respected audio file companies that are taking advantage of that higher higher resolution output. You're going to have to see music sources, you know, um, actual audio files from vendors, maybe from the iTunes Store, some eventually, that are higher resolution than, than than what we've got now. You're going to need the source and the the output devices. To convince people that there's a reason this is good before you can even consider switching, you know, dropping the headphone jack completely. Yeah.
1: And speaking as probably the least of an audiophile among the three of us, <laughs> yeah, that's not particularly compelling for me.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. No, I maybe it brings some of the audiophiles out of the woodwork, but um, Apple so far has not done a whole lot for that community. Apple lossless is, is certainly one nod toward them. But... I think, by and large, Apple has said, you know, AAC at two fifty six is it's pretty good, it's pretty darn good. And if you want to argue that it's not good, you're on, best you're of luck. On the, yeah, okay, you're let, on the far let's far end of
1: the bell curve here. Sorry, guys. Okay,
2: let's let let's though let's take a step back and let's do our our <laughs> our. Let's all remember that this is Apple, and two hundred fifty six k AAC is awesome and great and perfect. It should be enough for anyone, there Until they release the higher next thing. resolution <laughs> right. and then tell us how much better it is. So I, we, we've got Retina to be audio,
1: here. guys. Retina right. audio. It's coming down the pike.
2: <laughs> Up until the keynote where they announced high resolution audio, 256K is
0: perfectly fine. And to be fair, everybody does that, right? So Microsoft yes. says, yeah, right. Vista True. is awesome. Yeah. No, it's terrible <laughs> because now we have Windows whatever out now. So it's, it's much better. Um, and I think that'll do it. Uh, this has been a great discussion again. I really appreciate you guys jumping in at the last minute to be here on the Macworld podcast. So thank you, Dan Morin.
1: Thank you, Chris.
0: And thank you, Dan Franks. Happy to be here. And that wraps up another Macworld podcast sponsored by Citrix ShareFile. enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely lynda.com learn apple software the latest technologies creative skills and more from easy to follow video tutorials at lynda.com slash macworld and igloo an intranet you'll actually use if you have any feedback for us drop us a line at podcast at macworld.com thanks very much for listening